Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Interstem Podcast. Just in case you guys didn't know, or maybe you were, I don't know, otherwise unaware, my name is Gordon Chang. I'm excited to be back. And last week, we really kind of had some a lot of debates about some various STEM topics, which, you know, there shouldn't have been a debate. My side should have been correct, but I guess that's what people do all the time. But nonetheless, this week, we're going to be talking about just a couple of STEM careers, some random ones, and we're just going to be going around and discuss them. And I am, of course, joined today by some very exciting people. You guys already know them. Andre and Mana, if you guys can introduce yourselves in that order once again for our audience, please do. Hello, hello. I think Gordon introduced me pretty well. My name is Andre. Um, I'm a student at Beckman High School in Irvine, California, and I'm excited to talk about uh, furthering the STEM issues today. And I'm Mana. I'm a junior at Los Altos High School, and I'm also excited to be contributing to this podcast today. Well, I'm both very glad they're both here today. So I'm just going to start off right immediately. Um, so see, this is actually a topic that I don't know too much about. Since I was tasked with, you know, researching this, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to look through this. And the career that I was kind of looking at was botany, right? So botanist and whatnot. So you guys probably heard of them from at the very base level, they're basically studying plants all the time. But I feel like, honestly, now that I'm doing more research, I can see that like they do more than just like study the plants. So for example, if you want like a plant as an ornament, let's say you have, a, you own a big house and you're really rich, you have the chance to buy that stuff. So that would be kind of like when some plant people would most likely, I guess, get some basic consulting in. And yeah, so that's really exciting. And I honestly didn't even think about that before I started my research. Yeah, so Gordon, I also didn't really know too much about botany until there was actually like a club at my school. Uh, and that club is just called Beckman Botany Club. And um, so it's, it's all about botany. Um, but we were talking about uh, one of the recent uh, movies that just came out on Netflix, Don't Look Up, which is um, really good. If you haven't seen it yet, I would personally highly recommend it. Um, but it has these random like um interruption uh scenes of different plants and it really highlighted the diversity of or, or in fact the biodiversity of our plant species on earth and then at the very end of the movie after going through like this whole metaphor of um, asteroids and comets to climate change uh, it shows like what the world would be twenty-two thousand years later um, after an asteroid like hit the Earth, and I, I don't think twenty-two thousand years um, after an asteroid planet-killing comet would, I don't think that timeline's correct. But um, what followed was just this like amazing tropical paradise, um, and so that was really interesting. The idea that botany and the study of it, a study of those plants, can um, go from the smallest like microorganism that happens to be a plant to like for example, in, in California, the giant redwood trees, which like live for thousands of years. I don't know. It's very interesting to me. Um, and so I guess that's how I like got involved with botany. And so point being, it's it's pretty interesting and um, just yet another STEM career. Yeah, actually, Andre reminded me of another Netflix show about um... I would say astronauts. I don't know if any of you guys have watched it. It's called Space Force. Um, it's starring Steve Carell. And it's this comedic show about um, uh, a program that 
games for citizens to go and live on the moon. And um, one of the one of the I guess one of the shows was about um, growing plants on the moon and which ones would survive in a lunar habitat. And they used a lot of botany concepts in it. And I thought now that was kind of an interesting correlation between astronomy and botany. So yeah, thanks Andre for reminding me about that. Yeah, I'm glad you guys brought that up, honestly. Like, yeah, I, I honestly didn't think about the more practical uses of botany. But like, yeah, like there goes way beyond just like studying plants. Like I'm pretty sure that for pharmacies and everything, like drugs that are being made for like people to use, like I'm pretty sure they, a lot of them like incorporate a lot of like plant elements in them so that, that that's how they can roll them out into the public. And I think that's something that is honestly, we don't really think about that as much. So definitely getting to research this was really interesting. And sorry, I, I don't know how I found botany so interesting, but one other thing that I just got reminded of is um, how in other countries for COVID, they've been trying, and I emphasize trying, to use different plants and like natural resources. Uh, in fact, like one country uses like a type of grass to try to help treat COVID, whether you have it or whether they're like trying to prevent it almost as a natural vaccine. And while it's not proven, and while in most cases it's incredibly false, um, there are a lot of other medical conditions where plants can help out a lot. And I'm not promoting that in the case of COVID, uh, but what I am saying is that I think that there's a lot of not natural treatments that surprisingly we have no clue about that actually help people even if they have like the slightest cough um, that's how like some cough tablets are based off of like ricola cough drops i think um yeah i think um but it's really interesting how um natural um plants help with like natural medical conditions as well andre i'm, I'm glad you brought up with like you know the plants the like treating covid things i mean obviously that's not true but uh to any of you guys listening to this you know here's a tip Drink tea. Tea is absolutely amazing. It's a great drink. It's not Sprite or Fanta, but you know, it's great. So, you know, just a little tip. I know we're here on a podcast, but come on. It's my little tip to all you guys. Yeah, I, I love tea. Definitely drink tea. But um, speaking of botany and I guess the earth in general, our next career option is actually seismology. And I know many of you guys might be thinking, oh, seismology, earthquakes, you know, but actually it's quite a bigger field than that. Um, a lot of the research aims not only at evaluating earthquakes, but also artificial events like explosions, like mining explosions, um, vibrations caused by trucks, things like that. Anything that can, I guess, influence seismic waves. And um, yeah, the, the work of a seismologist is basically to locate the source of one of these events, um, figure out, you know, the magnitude of the event and the nature of it as well. So it's a really interesting field. Um, I know all three of us live in California and here on the fault line. And so we always have these earthquake drills and um, warnings anytime something like this happens. So I thought you know, this is a pretty interesting field to relate to our common experiences. Yeah, honestly, yeah, I, I like the fact that you brought, you know, seismology up. It's, it's, it's a great topic. Uh, I honestly didn't think much about it. All I cared about was, like, staying safe during an earthquake. 
But I guess the reason that we are honestly safe during earthquakes is because like we have their like expertise and knowledge and it does really help out a lot. You know what I mean? Another thing um, about seismology is that I think that there'll be a lot more in the next coming uh, years about preventing those um, seismic wave events. And I think that that's one way that the like field will expand. I don't know if that's maybe under a different field than seismology itself, but the idea of preventing earthquakes in the minimal ways that we can, uh, I guess is um, uh, pretty interesting because uh, again, here in California, we haven't had um, an earthquake uh, for a long time. And I know that there have been a few, but none that were devastating and none that were like in super populated areas. None within the past 20, 20 years, I think, you know, around L.A. or like in San Francisco. Um, so I think that that will be become more prevalent as time goes. Yeah, and for those of you who, you know, might not be that interested in environmental science, there's a whole bunch of, you know, multidisciplinary aspects of seismology as well. Um, I know the field incorporates a lot of physics, a lot of com com uh, computation, um, electronics, civil engineering as well. So there's, there's a lot of tools that seismologists use, and it doesn't only have to be about science. It can also be about technology if you're interested in that type of stuff. And speaking of technology, um, there is a field which is known as organic electronics. Um, and so I wanted to talk about it today because when I first heard of that, I had no clue what that meant. But I initially thought organic, okay, like something with life. Um, no, not necessarily. Um, and then electronics, I obviously thought of engineering and, and um, the electrical aspects of engineering. The actual purpose of organic electronics is to um, use organic molecules, so anything with carbon, of course, and then apply those to um, electronics like OLED panels, as an example, um, organic solar cells, and use those to have more desirable electrical properties so that could be like making something more conductive that could be making something like ultra eco-friendly um, and in some ways people think that it will be um, like a more flexible material so if you want to have like flexible glass or um, flexible phones where the um, the hinge that like a, a phone can uh, fold on um that it will that the electronics within that fold won't be compromised and that they'll like remain intact all of those things i believe are like under the um umbrella of organic electronics and so while i still don't know too much about it i think it's something that would be really interesting especially if you are into um uh, maybe a mixture between the hardware part of engineering and also the more programming components of uh, computer science, engineering, etc. And I think it's a really interesting field. Yeah, I definitely think it's super cool that you can combine biology and electronics. I never really would have imagined that, but to create something more efficient, more, um, I guess, useful just by using organic chemicals to synthesize you know, something that we can use in our technology is pretty crazy, I think. I was wondering, um, you mentioned solar panels, right? 
how how exactly does that work do you know anything about it uh yes yeah, so I, I did mention those i'm not sure i'm pretty sure it's still being researched um there's a lot of they're just like solar cells is my understanding so obviously with that technology then we could bring it to the scale of solar panels so it's it's like basically these semiconductor um like it's an organic semiconductor that can convert light into electricity which is of course the role of solar panels but it's organic and so that would make it a lot more sustainable um and then also give some advantages i think to where it's like flexible so if you have like um for example, some wind event or something, and you don't want the solar panels flying off, maybe that can be uh, advantageous, um, even though that's of course unlikely. So I think that those advantages are why organic uh, solar cells might be a really interesting um, technology in organic electronics. I'm not gonna lie, guys. I'm not entirely sure what you guys were talking about. Organic electronics, that, that topic, it, it's a little too complex for a guy like me, sorry. But uh, so the thing that I did want to talk about was genetic counseling. So I complain all the time that I'm a bit too short and it, you know, it makes me sad and all that. But honestly, like to me, like genetic counselors do kind of more than just that. So obviously, you know, I like to say that I'm short and stuff. That's basically genetic. But also something else that is genetic is like a lot of like genetic disorders like Down syndrome, like cystic fibrosis and Huntington's disease. So the job of like a genetic counselor would be essentially like kind of consult with some, let's say a parent, like two people want to have children. And obviously like if there's a family history of a disorder, that genetic counselor would help them out and kind of say, hey, like this is what you need to be aware of and whatnot. And I think that it's, it really needs to be represented more in the media because, you know, that is a really important job to do. You know, I know I say that again, complaining about height all the time, but Having things like Down Down syndrome and like cystic fibrosis, like that's not, it's not something that is needs to be taken lightly. And the work that genetic counselors do to help ensure that people get to, you know, have just less complications within their lives, like that's really important. And I did, like I said, hope they get represented more in the media. Yeah, I've talked about um, those specific um, uh, diseases that are genetically related. Um, a long time ago in a past episode, it's like from the very beginning, Interstem Talks episodes. And my uncle has cerebral palsy, um, which is like based off of a genetic mutation. And so he cannot speak. He cannot, um, well, he, he can like verbally say stuff. He can, he can yell. He can laugh a little bit if he wants, but he can't, he can't comprehend English. He can't. Um, comprehend any language he needs help when he's eating and stuff like that um, but what not actually what's interesting is that there was some type of counseling available for his parents which are my grandparents and so not only can genetic counseling I think help the person affected by those genetic conditions whatever they might be um, but then they can also help the, the people who are caring for those individuals um, and I'm not sure if they were exactly a genetic counselor or just a general counselor, um, but there's a lot of physical and mental work that goes into um, helping like your son with those challenges. And so um, I think that that's um, really useful, the fact that we can have genetic counselors in our, in our lives to 
help both sides, to help the people caring for um, people who are challenged with those genetic conditions and also those who are directly impacted by that. Yeah, like, I'm really glad that you said that. Like, yeah, it's like, again, those are like really important issues. And obviously, like, they're not something that I would joke about because it, again, it's like really serious. So, you know, I think that the role genetic counselors play in that and helping like target those th issues and kind of like discuss with parents as to, you know, what they can do. I think that's like really helpful. And I'm really glad that we have people like that helping us all out. Yeah. And also just, just to maybe step in as a, uh, not a genetics counselor, but a general counselor. We've never seen each other um, in person. It's, of course, through Interstem uh, digitally. And so because of that, I've never seen Gordon, and I've never seen your height. And so I must say, based off of first impressions, I get the impression that you are like the tallest person in your class. And I mention that because that goes to show that height, um, those genetic things don't define you at all. And uh, I just want to mention that hopefully, hopefully um, people at your school might say that every once in a while. I know I have a lot of friends that are um, uh, not tall, maybe. Um, and so I'm, I'm at like an average height and I always joke about it with them. Um, but in the end, uh, we can joke about small things like that to some extent, as long as we, we understand what we're talking about. But um, in the grand scheme of things, having someone to just talk to at an at a human level with seriousness and compassion is is really important. Thank you, Andre. I, I really needed that. Um, so I, I guess in, I'll just say my height outright. Uh, I'd like to think that I'm like five eight, but people have been telling me that I'm like five six. Which, if that's the case. My God, I need to get like surgery or something, or maybe I need to go to the space. I heard like maybe oh, that no. stretches your side. That's 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 overrated. You no 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 no. I I have friends that are that are um, yeah. We'll leave that part out. Oh yeah okay okay. I wasn't sure how low you were gonna go with the height, but yeah yeah for sure. We're moving on. Okay, so with that said, um, I think it's time for a a whole new topic. Um, so let's start off with quantum biology, which is very advanced, um, but it's a very interesting field, the, the little that I delved into it. Um, and so quantum biology um, is the application of quantum theory. And so, of course, we, we need to have like a, a basic understanding of what quantum theory is. And I'm, I can't explain it all because I don't know um, like the actual science backing of the quantum theory, but I know that it explains the behavior of matter and energy and things explained by atomic, you know, levels, like things at the atomic level. So quantum theory explains the behavior of matter and energy at an atom level. So Deeper than cellular levels, we can take the, what we know from quantum uh, theory and apply it to quantum biology. So there's a lot of functions like um, photosynthesis and um, how do vision and photosynthesis work together or um, how does DNA stack uh, with itself? Like all the nucleotides that are so tightly packed, they're like, I think it's nanometers um, away from each other. And I think it's like 
three nanometers. It's very small. Um, how do those stacked nucleotides deal with light? Um, very advanced topics where we can apply what we're trying to discover the function of different structures and we can apply quantum theory or or like our our understanding of that to biological um, functions and so it's really important I think in our in our knowledge of processes so um, of course in classes like AP biology or I guess a little bit of AP chemistry we talk about processes related to enzymes or how they interact with one each other. Um, in physics, we talk a ton about uh, energy transfer, like like work done on the objects, kinematics, all that. Um, and so it's all related to quantum biology. And actually, it's taught us a lot about our evolving understanding of photosynthesis, our sense of smell. Um, and so there's a lot more that I think that, that quantum biology can unpack. And since physics or um, or since physics like explains biology and explains chemistry to to some root level, uh, it will be really interesting to see us continue to apply um, like energy in in the atomic level to biology. I think it's crazy because I used to think that like molecular biology was the most low level, smallest type of biology you could learn. I mean, you're really getting into like cell processes, stuff that you can't even see with your eyes. But now we have this whole nother field of like quantum biology where you're really delving into the atoms and their interactions with each other. So that's definitely really cool. It's really novel as well. And I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what applications could come out of that. I guess uh, for- oh. Yeah, no, no, no worries, Mon. But yeah, just really quickly. Uh, I just wanted to say that, yeah, it's- Quantum biology, you know, <laughs> initially all I knew about quantum was like Ant-Man, like the quantum realm. I mean, that stuff is like pretty ridiculous. But yeah, now that Andre's brought it up and all that, yeah, I think it is tremendous uh, the things that quantum biologists do. And honestly, I'm definitely going to look into that a little bit more. Okay, so I'm looking at the Google Doc here and we're going to move on topics. Alchemist. I'm not entirely sure what that is. Like, I'm getting reminded of like witchcraft when it comes to alchemist. Okay, when I hear that word, I mm, I don't know. I, I hope that's something that a scientist does. I zero clue, not gonna lie. Sorry. You're actually kind of right, Gordon. So the field of alchemy was actually Magic? something that used to be done um, way back, ancient times, but now it's considered a pseudoscience. And I guess a good, a good version of a more realistic sense of alchemy is chemistry, um, but that's a more serious scientific field. But we'll talk about alchemy for a second. Um, so back then, there used to be this theory that you could take any basic substance, water, air, anything, and somehow transform it into gold. But we now know that chemically, that's pretty much impossible. Physically, however, it has been done. Um, and although it's not financially possible, and I would not recommend you guys go turn basic substances into gold, um, things like the particle accelerator, I'm sure you guys have heard of that machine sometime or the other, but um, that has actually been able to turn substances into gold. So I think alchemy, we, we may, as Gordon said, think of it as witchcraft, but it actually was a very serious field back then.
um, although it's definitely not as serious now. Yeah, it, it kind of still sounds like witchcraft. Um, turning stuff into gold, It's not. it wasn't as popular. Um, I mean, it was as popular back then, but now maybe it's not. It still kind of sounds like witchcraft. Um, it reminds me of the um, uh, some website game that I used to always play. I forget the name, but you would like combine substances or like just different things so if you like combined earth and lava it would form a volcano i'm sure you guys know what i'm talking about it was like all of my fifth grade memories um it was called like little alchemist i don't know i think it got banned or something <laughs> um a little alchemy i think i think it was called little alchemy oh yeah 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 i'm looking at it right now called little alchemy so if like I mix earth with fire, hopefully that creates a oh it creates lava. Uh, if I mix lava with water, it should create like obsidian. And it says, I don't know. That was my first um, thoughts of um, an alchemist when I heard that, um, which doesn't sound too far off. No, like of experimenting with those chemical combinations. Is that does that sound right, Mana? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Um, it's very similar to chemistry, if you think about it. I mean, a lot of chemists these days are trying to figure out how to turn certain molecules into other molecules, how to, you know, combine them to create stable or unstable um, substances that we can use for whatever applications. But alchemy did, although, although it's physically impossible, it did kind of pave the way for modern modern chemistry. And um, speaking of pseudosciences and um, modern science, I'm going to read this straight off the internet, but the definition of pseudoscience is a theory, methodology, or practice that is considered to be without scientific foundation. And I feel like that is so relevant these days, um, considering the time we're in. We're in a pandemic right now, and there's been a lot of discussions on whether or not vaccines should be mandated. And um, yeah, there's been a lot of pushback from certain communities that don't want their kids vaccinated. So I think we're going to talk about vaccines now, a little bit about media literacy and um, other pseudosciences that have basically been going around. Uh, hold on, just one quick. Before we, before, I'm still curious about alchemists. How much do they make, Mana? How much? I don't know how much they would make. I don't think a lot, but. Unfortunately, I have no idea what their salary is. Hmm. Is, it, is it even a job? It could be. I mean, they're pretty much making money, right? Okay, I'll stop talking about it before some alchemists come knocking at my door. That is a stellar idea. All right, so I guess we can talk about vaccines now, vaccinations. Um, yeah, so as I said before, they're there have been a lot of discussions on vaccines are bad and vaccines are good. There have been so many debates about this. Um, people have been saying that the CDC is lying, that uh, COVID treatments don't exist, or if they do, they're things like ivermectin, which um, is a horse antibiotic and actually can be used on humans as well, but for completely different purposes for treating tapeworm infections, rosacea. So I'm just going to put this out there. Ivermectin does not work. Vaccines are good. They do work. Um, and a lot of the media is, is kind of having some really serious debates on this. And it is affecting lives. So it's a debate that we should be having. 
One interesting thing about a lot of the things that come out of um, like vaccination conspiracy theories or anything to do with COVID for that matter, or vaccinations in general, is that they stem from people resorting to like one source, whether it be like one article or one group that publishes new magazines or um, you know, a radio show, a podcast. There was recent news about a podcast. And then, um, of course, like uh, particular channels. And while we have those things, um, those are the sources of that, that cause people to um, believe what they're saying because of a lack of media literacy and not being able to take things from many sources and construct your own belief that understands all points of view but still like critically evaluates all of those things and comes up with one like solid correct understanding of what is being reported or what might be um, floating around um, as a rumor so it's almost like uh, when you're in kindergarten and there this is a bad analogy but if you're in kindergarten and um, people are talking about how like I don't know, um, what's a random name? Annabelle likes, um, uh, uh, I don't know, random name, Jordan. Um, and how that's going around between the kindergartners. Well, if we only stick to one um, group of, let's say, boys that are saying, oh, I think they really like each other, um, and we only stick to those people, then everyone else is going to have the same view that, that's the case and that there's no other alternatives where maybe they're just really good friends and then yeah it's a really bad analogy but um i think that what i'm trying to say is that um a lot of things stem from people just relying on one one person or entity honestly andre that was a perfect analogy like that's kind of something that happens like nowadays it's like people they just listen to their side of the story they're not you're not willing to comprehend that other side. And, you know, it's it's sad to look at these types of people, but, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, humans will be humans. And as long as they're still here, they're probably just like, look at one side of the story and think that, oh, that's the only side of the story. And they often neglect to see that, you know, there's, there's always two stories that go around. I 100% agree with you guys. Um, there's always another perspective. And I mean, it's also a problem with us. Like we're, liberal Californians who are all pro-vaccine, but what we don't know is that the polarity between people who do believe in vaccines and people who don't is actually making the situation worse. Um, you have to have, there has to be some sort of platform where both people can come together, discuss logically and not ideolo ideologically or emotionally about vaccines. And um, yeah, that's extremely important. Um, Andre, I know you mentioned like podcasts or influencers who are uh, preaching about anti-vax methodologies. And I just wanted to like say a few examples. There's Joe Rogan. He is very famous for having a podcast about um, anti-vaxxers. And it's really strange because he is not a scientist. He is actually, I believe he's a WWE commentator? I am not too sure. Gordon, you probably know more about this than I do. <laughs> no, I don't. I think it's UFC, though. I, he is not, okay. no, he's not WWE affiliated. Gotcha. Some, some MMA stuff. I have absolutely no idea. But 
he's definitely not a scientist, but they still go around preaching this type of stuff and instilling a lot of mistrust. So it's really important, as Andre said, to find credible sources and to look at all sorts of sources, not just one concentrated one. Yeah, I was I was almost going to say the same thing about um, about like the podcast um, thing and bringing that back into the discussion, because as crazy as it might sound, um, it might be important for some people like myself um, who are very pro vaccine and just see it as a full public health common sense measure to listen to that podcast, which people may seem as an absurdity, even if it's only for five or 10 minutes, just to try to understand their point of view. Because even if I don't agree at the end of the day with their point of view, I can apply that to future years if there's another issue um, completely unrelated to COVID where there's two sides. I can understand like, oh, I should look I should look at both sides, especially if it's not as polarizing of an issue as COVID has been. And in fact, it's possible that the media source that I always listen to all the time or take news from is wrong and that they could one day um, spread some, I guess, misconception or misinterpretation on something. And so like the ability to critically think about um, both sides, I think is really important. And again, I really don't want to listen to that podcast. I don't want to have anything to do with that podcast. But I understand that other people don't have don't want anything to do with pro vaccine people or an organization that supports that. And if both sides are just like that, well, then it's like two two land masses completely separated by water and there's no boat in between. And so um, Huh, that was a cringe um, analogy, but we, we, we need to like, we need to bridge that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, we need to um, find a way to cross that water, I guess. <sighs> Andre, these analogies are really good. I don't know how you're thinking of this on the spot, but they're, they're really awesome. I think it's, I think it's a vaccine. <laughs> it's a vaccine that um, gives me this strength, yeah. And just like we need to um, bridge that gap for vaccinations and COVID and understanding those perspectives, I think we also need to do that with climate change. Um, and one one thing that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast was the movie Don't Look Up. If you guys haven't watched that, again, I already said this, but you should, you should at least learn what it's about, even if you don't watch it, um, because it the goal is to like almost scare you out of your um, your chair or your couch um, into realizing that what we are facing as a society with climate issues is potentially um, you know similarly catastrophic as a an asteroid hitting the planet and while our planet is not going to die or completely get wiped out in the next 10 years um, we'll still be alive in 10 years, I think, for sure, um, unless, you know, there's other reasons. But in the next 100, 200, 300 years, looking at that long scope of time, um, there's a lot more to uh, be discovered and for us to realize. Um, 
the whole movie is a metaphor, um, as I mentioned before, about an asteroid um, hitting the Earth. And everyone is blinded by the fact that it could come within six months. And these researchers are trying to point that out to the public, but then politicians get involved and politicians are completely covering it up, more focused on their Supreme Court nominee, um, which is failing, and the midterms are in two weeks, and um, everything like that, and how people are so focused on the on the central, like, present time. And um, ultimately, like, yeah, the whole planet dies. And while I don't think that that's, that's going to happen uh, anytime soon, and while I'm optimistic that um, our society will see other ways around crises related to climate, I think that we need to talk about it a lot more because... As a matter of fact, I do think that there are some political sides that politicize climate change when in reality, it's just like public health. Environ uh, environmental science is, is a science. Like people don't go in there for politics. People don't become public health officers just because they want to make a political statement. They do it because they want to save lives. Similarly, environmentalists do it because they want to save the planet that they were born in and that they believe we should preserve. And so if we can continue that dialogue and figure out why people um, think that there is a political component and directly talk to them, I think that that's really important because it's just as critical, if not more critical, than the present time we're in right now of vaccines. So I think that there's a lot to carry over between the two. I really love how you mentioned the work of politics and science. Um, as we all know, like politicians hold so much influence over our society today. And if we can somehow get them on board with the idea of climate change, spreading that idea and combating, I guess, misinformation and disinformation becomes so much easier. So um, a lot of this misinformation spreads because of politics, but also it has the power to really change how uh, the, the public's perception of science. And it's really important to engage that. Another interesting thing is that um, stereotypically, we would think that that um, the p polarization of climate change and the political, uh, I can't say the word, but like applying politics to climate change is always coming from one side. When in fact, I think it's both, both sides or all points of view that are contributing to the, the conflict. We have some people that are like, saying, oh, I'm going to um, take all people who oppose climate change off of my social media account, or I'm never going to talk to them again, similarly to how people were doing with, with different COVID issues. And that's not the way that we're going to um, solve any societal issues. That's never been the solution. That's always led to conflicts. That's built walls between communities. Um, and so what we need to do is figure out um, not why, not just why one side is wrong, but why the other side is wrong. Um, we can't do that. And we also can't make false promises. I think a lot of politicians go into politics because they say, I'm going to oppose climate change. I'm going to support climate change. When in reality, they're just doing it to get a position. Or translating that to just general society, people are saying, I'll support this, um, this organization you're you're making, or I'm going to completely oppose it, but mm, I'm just doing it because of your friendship or something like something along those lines, as simple as that. I think that we need to stop 
um, because it's it's very bad for all of us. Um, and in the end, even if you're someone supporting the the concept, the conceptual like umbrella over um, ultimate like um, understanding of climate change, and you're you're promoting that polarization then you're going to contribute to the problem just as much of someone who is saying that climate change is totally wrong. So um, I think that's important to state because we, we want to get like everyone on the same page. And I think that's like an important step. Yeah, thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, I mean, I think it is like really important, especially with like climate change. It's like a really huge issue and like just like every other issue um that we face that is scientific like i feel like politicians they like they make it they make it about them and it, and it just ends up being unproductive and again a great example of that would probably be like something like evolution now obviously like now evolution people it's, it's a widely accepted theory and all that but like there was like a point in time obviously a long time ago that it was thought of as blasphemous right thought of as untrue and yeah, to a certain extent, like there are still like some, and I'm quoting here off of some research that I did. It's uh, there's like some religious groups that they don't, they still don't accept um, evolution. And again, like you guys have been saying earlier, like there's like there's always two sides to the story, and obviously, like I I can understand where they're coming from with this. I think that um, uh, the divide um, in some cases on evolution has been around in society for a really long time. If you go back to, I don't know, say like early 1900s, so like, you know, over a hundred years ago, um, there there was like the Scopes trial as an example. It wasn't the clash, well, actually, it kind of was. It was the clash between religion and science. Um, and uh, it was called like the Scopes trial. Um, and it was about a teacher who was teaching the concepts of evolution in a classroom, like a public classroom setting. So now, you know, in public classrooms, we are taught um, evolution, but it's not molded into us at the same time. We're not, um, you know, teachers are not saying, you need to agree with evolution. And in fact, I remember my biology teacher being very like, um, like he, he warned us about it and he was very, aware of making that known that everyone should understand that we're just learning the theory of evolution it doesn't need to be like pushed into us um and so that's interesting <laughs> like side side tangent we could do that with vaccinations and climate change really easily just like understanding what the the fundamental basis of both of those things are just as with evolution uh that's just something i wanted to point it out with evolution but um, that clash has existed for a long time, for sure. Yeah, and I think people get turned off by science so easily because it's not a 100% thing. There's, it's all just theories, right? The theory of evolution, theory of Darwinism. It's, it's all just theories. And um, people want hard, straight facts. And honestly, science is all about observation. And you kind of have to have some sort of creativity with it. We're all, as Andre's teacher said, we're all learning as we speak. It's going to take years and years. And we still probably won't ever understand the science behind these phenomenon. But um, we're, we're starting to do so now with climate change, evolution, vaccinations. 
Um, and it really helps if people are open to both sides of the perspective so that we can have these um, purposeful discussions about these issues. And I think that with vaccinations and climate change, people can say, well, you should be taking one side. Evolution is like a complicated matter, I think, because you have like actual religious and scientific beliefs that uh, like conflict with one another. Like one idea says that the planet was created by another like superior being, but then the other one says that it all happened from... Um, for example, that there was like the theory on um, the endo endosymbiotic theory, so those kind of directly um, clash with one another. Uh, for me, personally, as someone with both like strong, at least I think strong science, um, like basic understanding, and someone who is also um, religious, I try to keep them separate and not clash with them uh, too much. But I think that um, in contrast to climate change and vaccinations, media literacy can help with evolution because we can understand how both sides can coexist without clashing, if that makes sense. Um, and so that's something that I think is important to note with evolution. All right, so we've discussed a lot about media literacy, vaccinations, climate change, evolution, and those really important issues that the scientific community as well as the public is having at this time. Um, and we've also uh, discussed varying STEM roles, their impact on us, um, very niche STEM roles too that a lot of people don't really know about. So I think this podcast has been um, very informative and feel free to check out our other ones as well. They're all posted on the InterSTEM website. And yeah, thank you for tuning in and joining us today. Bye. <laughs> Thank you guys. Thank you.